Amen. Well, hey, got a question for you guys. Actually, a couple questions. How many guys in life run around, you've ever run across somebody um, who's, how do you put this? Uh, they, their elevator didn't quite go to the top. You know what I'm saying? Is that, kind of, is that politically correct enough for you? Well, if that didn't work, maybe, maybe they were just a few peas short of a casserole. You ever run across those? No, no, no. Their wheel was a spinning, but the hamster was done dead. You ever run into somebody like that? You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, well believe it or not, for those of you uh, who haven't had that privilege, if you will, I'm going to share with you, you know, what does somebody like that look like? You know, what they, what they sound like, okay? And basically, how do you know when you run across somebody whose cheese has done slid off their cracker? Have I got enough of those out there yet for you? All right. Well, I think they look a little bit like this. You know, let's take a look at this one. And these are all actual quotes. This one's from Miss Alabama of the Miss USA contest. She was asked a simple question. Hey, if you could live forever, would you and why? All right, straightforward. Well, here was her answer. Wow. She said, I would not live forever because we should not live forever. Because if we were supposed to live forever, then we would live forever. But we cannot live forever, which is why I would not live forever. What? <laughs> Mariah Carey, I kid you not. She said this, whenever I watch TV and see those poor starving kids all over the world, I, I can't help but cry. I mean, I'd love to be skinny like that, but not with all those flies and death and stuff. <laughs> what? You gotta be kidding me. Here's what Matt Lauer on NBC's Today Show. He said this, uh, researchers have discovered that chocolate produces some of the same reactions in the brain as marijuana. The researchers also discovered other similarities between the two, but they can't remember what they are. <laughs> Lay off the chocolate. Okay, apparently, I don't know. But uh, hey, Brooke Shields, I kid you not, she was a spokesman back in the day of the federal anti-smoking campaign. Actually said this, smoking kills. And if you're killed, you've lost a very important part of your life. (laughs) No kidding. Really? Think so? Okay. Hey, Marion Barry, he was the former, I don't know if you remember him, mayor of Washington, D.C. He said, hey, outside the killings, Washington's one of the lowest crime rates in the country. (laughs) Just going to be dead, that's all. But hey, uh, Hillary Clinton, I kid you not, remember this one? After uh, the subpoena document, she says, I'm not going to have some reporters pawing through our papers. We are the president. <laughs> Remember those days? Woo! Rita Mae Brown said, hey, the statistics on Sandy are that one out of every four Americans is suffering from some form of mental illness. So think of your three best friends. If they're okay, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Richard Gere, watch this. This is wild. He says, I know who I am. No one else knows who I am. I mean, if I was a giraffe and somebody said I was a snake, then I'd say, no, actually, I'm a giraffe. Let's just move on. All right, Kate Moss. Kate Moss, get this, said about her new book, to say this book is about me, which is the main reason I was uncomfortable. Me, 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 me. That's ridiculous. The book is not about me. You know what the name of the book was? Kate, the Kate Moss book. (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. Remember this one from Donald Rumsfeld back in the day? He said, reports that say that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me. Watch this. Because as we know, there are no knowns. There are things that we know, we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know, we don't know. You know? Yeah. Wow. All right. Now, again, how many guys would say, I'll throw one more at you. Maybe those people didn't have all their cornflakes in one box. Okay. Well, are we done with that one? Okay. But, uh, but unfortunately, you know, sometimes it's like people forget to, if you will, engage their brains before they speak, you know, and it's just kind of a strange thing. But um, I don't know about you, but um, you know, the punchline's coming. Can you, can you guess who else is also seemingly forgetting to engage their brains before they speak? It's the American church, folks when we act like we got this practical amnesia 
and we're acting like we don't even know who we are. And, and see, that's the game, unfortunately, that's being played, and the loss is watching all this, folks. We say we know who we are as the church, <laughs> right? But half the time, what are we doing? With our lips, like that, and with our lives. We're giving it a different impression. We're acting like we don't even know who we are. As we've been seeing in our study, folks, this is not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That could keep somebody from coming to Christ. It's called a bad witness. Turn to somebody and say, don't be a bad witness, okay? And uh, that's why we're gonna continue our study, the character of the church, okay? To get rid of this uh, uh, practical amnesia. Let's get into the word of God to see what God says, the people of God, the church is supposed to be, Amen. Okay, now we've already seen the first thing we need to know about the church if we're gonna stop living with this so-called practical amnesia is the church is the body of Christ. We're not a building, it's not a place we go, it's us, we're the church, okay? Uh, The second thing was the body of hope, then a, a, a body of one, a body of joy, a body of love, a body of peace, a body of strangers, a body of disciples, and last time, the ninth thing, a body of servants. And there we saw that unfortunately, even though the Bible's extremely clear about this, that as Christians, we're supposed to be serving others just like Christ, right? He led the way by example. What are we doing? Oh, we're serving all right. We're serving anything and everything but Christ, okay? And the reason why is because the unfortunate trend in the church is we think that serving is done uh, to us. We think it's up to us whenever it's convenient or that it's made for us. It's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And the problem is, folks, it's not just, well, okay, you got me, preacher, uh, not being the best, you know, body of servants, uh, like Jesus and all. No, it's not that. You're giving the lost the impression that the church is made up with a bunch of selfish, self-centered servants of man. Folks, that's not a good witness, okay? Jesus came as you were here and washed those gnarly old grandpa-looking funky fisherman toes. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and we're supposed to have that same kind of mindset. That's basic Christianity. Even the lost knows that. Okay, but unfortunately, that's not all. Okay, I'm still preaching, so Debbie, guess what? There's got to be more, and the prophet Debbie has spoken, folks, and there is. The church, I I couldn't wait to get to this one. The church is to be a body of rebels. Turn to somebody and say, I'm a rebel, you're a rebel. Wouldn't you like to be a rebel too? Now, the spirit of Dr. Pepper's all over you, okay? Now, again, as a Christian, go, Christians, rebels. Yes, we are. Read the Bible, we are really supposed to be a rebel. Just make sure you're the right one, okay? And as always, don't take my word for it. Let's find out what the right kind of rebel's supposed to be, okay? Romans chapter 12 is our opening text. Romans chapter 12, we're gonna take a look at verses one through two, as you can see here. Passage we've been in many times, but there's another element that I want to bring out here as to why I believe God is calling us as Christians in light of all that Jesus has done for us We are to be a rebel. I mean a serious, serious rebel. Just, again, make sure you're the right one. But here's what the Word of God says as we stand to read His Holy Word. So Paul says this, therefore. Now remember, as we saw before, when you see therefore, you ask yourself, what is it therefore? The previous 11 chapters is all about basically God is holy. We are not. We're all doomed. We deserve, myself included, to go straight to hell. The wages of sin is death. And But praise God, through Jesus Christ, we can be rescued from all that and that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, In light of that, is that an incredible truth? Yeah. So here should be the incredible, normal, logical response. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, again, we've seen this before, logical, logikos in the Greek. It's logical. After all God's done for us, it's logical that you say, hey, man, God, what do you want me to do? 
Man, you saved me from eternal damnation and hell. You forgave me of all my sins in spite of me. I couldn't earn it. You did it and you did it all. It's complete. It's safe. It's even, as the scripture says, kept in heaven for you. Nobody can steal it. It's guaranteed. In light of that, the logical response, living sacrifice. Jesus, this is your life now. You can do whatever you want with it, man. What do you want me to do? And that's what he says. It's your spiritual act, logical, legikos act of worship. And here it is. All right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to live this life as a living sacrifice. Well, keep reading. He tells you what does that kind of life look like. And here's what he says. Do not what? Conform. Now stop right there. What do you call somebody who refuses to conform? A rebel. Do you get it? I'm not making this up. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You may be seated if you can. But basically, again, we've seen this passage several times, even in our current study. But the Bible basically says, again, in a nutshell, therefore, if you really appreciate God's mercy in saving you and I from sin, from eternal damnation to hell forever by sacrificing his own son, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act or or get everything, you know, because we can't. We can't do the cleaning up process. Okay, he still sent Jesus while we were still sinners, while we were ungodly. The scripture says, while we were enemies, we, I, me, I wasn't even looking for Christ and he still came and chased me down. God still went ahead and did it in spite of us. He says, man, here's the normal, logical response to that. Here's your spiritual act of worship. You're what? You're to say, I'm gonna sacrifice what time I got left on earth for Jesus. A living sacrifice. Day in, day out. Now, again, he gave us the acid test. How do you know? It's one thing to say, that's right, I'm living for Jesus now. He's rescued me by the cross of Christ through eternal damnation of hell. He's forgiven me of all my sins. I'm now going to be a living sacrifice for Jesus. And I better say that because as Christians, we know we're supposed to. So how do you know you're actually doing it? What's he say? He says, we're no, we're doing that basically when you what? When you sacrifice your life back unto God. Well, how do you know you're sacrificing your life back unto God? You absolutely refuse to conform to this world. You were every single day, as we saw before, you were in the word of God and you were allowing this book to conform you, to transform you, the renewing of your mind. I am now submitted to the scripture. I'm living for Jesus Christ and I will conform to this book. I will conform to God's will. I will conform to God's word. And at the same time, I will resist this wicked world system and I refuse to let that world conform me. I am going to rebel against this wicked world system I was living for the devil. I rebelled against God. No more. Now I'm a rebel for Jesus. That's the proof that you really appreciate what God's done for you and you're really living a living sacrifice. And so that's, that's obvious. That's why I say we're rebels for Jesus, right? And so again, this is basic Christianity, man. So surely we know this. We're supposed to be rebels of, of Jesus, a body of rebels. The church is a body of rebels, Woo! right? Where people look at you and I, and they go, look at those people. I mean, they've got to be followers of Christ. They, they have absolutely nothing to do with this world's wickedness. And in fact, they'll face any threat. They'll stand up against any persecution. They will share God's truth no matter the cost because they're a rebel for Jesus. I mean, that's what they say about us all the time, right? Man, I wish that was true. Folks, you, you look at most churches today, it does not look like we're Christian rebels with a cause. It looks like we're worldly conformists without a cause. And that cause has nothing to do with God. And so my question is why? 
I mean, this is basic Christianity. Come on. Why do we Christians no longer rebel against this world? And then we're actually given the impression that we're conforming to this world. Well, let me give you a couple things that I believe as to why. Again, we've forgotten who we are. Did you realize that God makes up our identity? Okay, so he, he, last time I checked, calls it shots. And one of the many identities he gives us is we're rebels, all right? Why? We're rebels against this wicked world system, and we're living for Jesus, and that's why he says we are the salt of the earth. Why do we no longer uh, rebel against this wicked world system we've conformed? Because we have lost our saltiness. The salt is a preservative, right? We've lost our saltiness, okay? And then read what Jesus said. If you get to that point, you're, you become worthless, Okay, again, I, I didn't say that he did. Let's take a look at that text. Matthew five thirteen. Jesus said, you are the what? The salt of the earth. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, God, I'm the salt of the earth. Yay, but keep going. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? You ever done that? You ever come across that? Okay, and, and it's, well, it's common sense. So can you make it salty again? No, it's, it's too late. It, it's gonna be thrown out and trampled underfoot it's worthless. Basically, you turn into, it could have been something good to preserve food, accent food, okay? But now, basically, you become road salt. Is road salt something that you put on your food? No, it's worthless. It's only good to what? To provide traction. That's what he's talking about. They would throw it out at the temple and stuff of that nature. It's no longer any good. You can't use it as a preservative for food anymore, it's just worthless now. You're just going to throw it out. That's what he means, trampled by the feet of men. You've basically turned into road salt. Nothing. Now, I will say this, and for those of you listening in New York, don't take this personally. But when I first started pastoring there, and they found out very quickly, for some reason, I don't like chicken. And they had this uh, food product there called Beef on Weck. Have you guys ever heard of that? Yeah, yeah or Beef on Weck. And I'm going, what's a Weck? Right? With the Wecky, 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 whatever. But anyway, the Weck is, is, is a bun. And the beef that they had was just kind of like the shaved beef. It's kind of like a roast beef thing. And that, that was good. I enjoyed that part. But this beef on weck, I guess why it makes it so cool, apparently, is I called it road salt on the bun. It's got these huge, massive chunks of salt on it. I'm not, not talking just little granules. Remember that? Big old giant chunks of salt. And now I'm going like, who can eat that? You take one bite and your skin, all the liquid goes away. It's like, whoa, what's it? And then I, then, and I got there in the spring. Then that first winter hit and I got, aha. This is what they, they carry around in their trunk. So when they get stuck in the snow, they throw those beef on the wex under the tire because that's going to give them traction because the salt pellets are that big. And, but in all seriousness, that's what he's saying. Listen, I mean, you can start out, you're a preservative. It's a good thing. We like salt. Uh, how many guys like popcorn without salt? Right? How many guys like french fries without salt? Right, salt? Salt's a good thing. And, and back in the day, we don't do it too much today, but salt it was a preservative. That's what kept your meat from going bad and turning, listen, rotten. But he says, you better be careful. That's who you are. You're to be that preservative factor, Christian. And you are to be a part of this world not becoming rotten. But if you just conform to this world, you've lost your purpose. You might as well just be put on a bun and thrown under a tire. You're no good than just melting the ice to be trampled by the feet of men. Do you see what he's talking about there? It's serious stuff. We are to not lose our saltiness. 
Now, to me, this is cool because he gives us direction, right? Because we read in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that we're not just saved uh, by grace through faith, lest anyone should boast. It's not of works, right? But keep reading. It says again in 10, Ephesians 2, 10, that God saved us for good works to do, right? So he's got a great plan for us. And apparently, this is one of the plans. The reason why, did you know, how many guys realize that when you get saved, you don't immediately go to heaven, Okay, all you should raise your hand because you're still here in case you're wondering how that kind of works, right? But if you ever wonder why, man, you get saved, why does God keep us here? It's because Ephesians 2.10, he's got a good purpose for you. He's got a plan. And this to me gives us one of the purposes that he's called us to be the salt of the earth. Again, notice it was salt. It wasn't the paprika, I can't even say that, seasoning of the earth. Pepper, I love pepper, but he says, no, it wasn't pepper. Nope. God's called us to be the pork rub. He's the pork rub. We're supposed to massage people more. No, he says, you are to be the preservative, the salt of the earth, okay? And how do we do that? How do we keep our society from going rotten? Well, we lead the way by example. What do we do? What keeps our society from going morally rotten? It's God's truth. God's truth being proclaimed on what's right and wrong morally God's moral hierarchical laws, when we proclaim it as Christians, we not only live it, but we proclaim it, guess what that does? That preserves your society. That keeps your society from becoming morally rotten, morally decayed. But what are we seeing today? Our society, even in America, is what? Is going morally rotten on a rapid, massive scale. So can we just really just blame it all on the world? Or the reason why it refuses to turn around is because maybe we've lost our saltiness. And we're shying away and shying back from God's moral hierarchy. And we're conforming to this world. You see, the world today, if you haven't noticed, they've got their own determination of what's right and wrong. It's called relativism. Are you familiar with that? We preached about that before, and that's the problem, okay? We are even going along with the moral relativism of man. Now, for those of you who don't know, relativism is the belief where there is no right and wrong. Really? Or, or to encapsulate in a phrase, they say stuff like this. Well, hey, whatever's good and true for you is true for you, but whatever is true for me is true for me. Have you heard that? That's relativism, okay? And it's all over the place. And it's not just sinful. Uh, to, with all due respect, it's dumb. Because think about it, folks. If there is no right and wrong, then what's the difference between an Adolf Hitler and a Franklin Graham? I mean, who are you to judge, Right? There is no right and wrong, they would say. What's the difference between a psychopath and a, a soccer mom? Right? Although I will say this. Have you ever seen those soccer moms when their kids are losing? So let me skip that example. I don't want to get sidetracked. <laughs> but my point is, there, if there is no right and wrong, which is what relativism says, I mean, think about it, right? Then all forms of behavior have to be accepted and said it's okay. But that is absolutely dumb. That is ridiculous to use that word. That means murder is okay. Adultery is okay. Abortion is okay. Rape is okay. Because, hey, that's my lifestyle. That's my belief. Who are you to tell me? And isn't that what a world is saying? And it's not just dumb. It's really dumb. It's kind of like that movie, Dumb and Dumber. Okay? Because keep going. The moment you say, there are no absolutes. You just made an absolute statement. Hello, <laughs> you can't escape it. There is right and wrong. And nobody believes this. You put it to the test. There is no right and wrong. Really? Can I see your wallet? Sure. Take the wallet and run. You know what that person will do 100% of the time? 
You know what to do? Stop, you can't do that. Why? You said there's no right and wrong. In my world, in my belief system, I think that's perfectly fine. No, you are stealing. Oh, so you admit there's a right and a wrong. Oh, by the way, where did that come from? God, thou shalt not steal. God makes up, do you see what I'm saying? So they don't even really believe it when push comes to shove. But that's what we are being integrated with today, that you have no right to tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want, believe whatever I want, and there are no uh, moral hierarchies. You just get to make it up as go. But relativism is ridiculous. And believe it or not, I've shared this before, Abraham Lincoln had to deal with this mindset, right? And he exposed it for how goofy it really is, right? Here's how it went down. Abraham Lincoln was trying to make a point in a debate and his opponent was unconvinced and just flat out stubborn. So Lincoln tried another tactic and he said to the man, well, let's see now, um, how many legs does a cow have? Right, so the the guy came back disgusted. Well, four, of course. And so Lincoln said, oh, you're right, absolutely. Now suppose that you call a cow's tail a leg. How many legs does the cow have? And the opponent replied confidently, well, five, of course. And Lincoln came back, well, that's obviously where you're wrong because calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. Right? Hopefully you guys got that. Okay. And think about it. I mean, if it were true, if this relativistic mindset were true, I'd be excited because if all you had to do was call a cow's tail a leg... Man, that's that much more meat to eat off that thing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I'd be excited. But it's ridiculous. You can call something what you want. That doesn't make it real and it doesn't make it right. And that's exactly what our world is doing. They're not just saying you have no right to tell me what to do when last time I checked, God does. He's the one who created us and he's the one who created what is right and wrong. And he tells us very clearly what it is and the church we're supposed to be supporting that and promoting that to preserve our world from going into absolute, utter, rotten decay morally. But then a world comes along and says, oh no, it's not just relative. I will make it up. I don't need to listen to God. You have no right to tell me. Then they, they, the, old, the old switcheroo. They think that somehow if they ch- change the terminology for sin, then it's no longer wrong. It's no longer sin. One guy, he puts it this way. He says, listen, what our founding fathers used to refer to as drunkenness because of their Christian heritage, we now just call it alcoholism. And we call it, a, a, it's a social disease rather than a sin. What the law word, what God's word called sodomy, we just now call, no, that's an alternative lifestyle. A pornography is a perversion that brings death to a nation, but we call it adult entertainment. What our founding fathers called immorality, we just call the new morality. What the law called adultery or fornication, sex outside of marriage, we just say, hey, we're just stepping out, fooling around. I mean, you gotta test the waters before you commit to marriage. And what the law called abhorrent social behavior, like stealing or filthy language. No, no, that's abnormal social development or anti-social behavior. No, it's sin. It's profanity. It's thievery. And I don't know about you folks, but last time I checked, I don't think just because you changed the name or term for sin, God's gonna bend to your will. It's still sin. But if you wanna play that game, you better listen to what God says. When you get to that point where your society has become so twisted that you think that somehow calling sin okay and that which is okay sin and somehow that's going to lead to great times, you better read the book of Isaiah. 
right? And here's what God warned about this kind of a country, a mindset, even back in Isaiah's day. He said this, woe to those who what? Who call evil good and good evil. Now, is that not today or what? That which is good, they're saying you're evil. That which the Bible says is evil, they say, oh, that's good. And he goes on. He said, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's our world right now because of this relativistic mindset, right? That we don't need to listen to God. We have rejected God. We've rejected his word. We've rejected his moral hierarchy. And and we're not going to abide by it. We get to make it up as we go. And just to maybe soothe our conscience, we're even going to get rid of the biblical term for sin. That's where we're at as a nation right there and what did Isaiah say man he was talking about horseback riding Woohoo! whoa horsey this is great you're gonna have wild time this will be wonderful when your society turns into that no what do he say whoa he's not talking about a horse ride he's talking about bad times horrible times rotten times in fact when you study the Greek culture historians admit that there what ended the Greek culture was when a group of philosophers came into existence and grabbed power. They were called the sophists. You know what the sophists believed in? Relativism. And within 40 years, the Greek culture crumbled. Because you can't build any kind of a foundation on everybody gets to make it up as they go. This right here, folks, is what our country was founded on. That was for 200 plus years, our sure foundation. And you wonder why the last 40 years it's crumbling and about ready to fall apart? It's because our country is governing by that sophist mindset. And history will repeat itself if we're still alive and still here, folks. Don't kid yourself. If we don't think that we're going to need to abide by God's moral hierarchies, you're going to go and crumble every single time. You're going to fall apart. But here's the good news, okay? That's, that's the bad news. That's, that's where our society is. And, and Isaiah says you were headed for some serious rotten times. But praise God. He's God. He knows all this. And this is what I find so cool. He's given us, even here in America, folks, the antidote that has the ability, listen, to preserve our country in the nick of time. And can anybody guess who? and what that antidote is it's us it's us being the salt the salts of the earth we're the preservatives we Christians are out there we're preaching God's truth we're standing up against it because we know if we shy back from the truth it's just going to crumble it's going to go into decay we'll put up a persecution people are saying all kinds of slander and no we've got to we've got the answer we've got that's what we're doing Whose rebel are you? Christian, who have you conformed to? Are you really conforming to the word of God which tells you what is right and wrong and you're living it and preaching it in love? Or have you conformed to this wicked world system and you live by that relativistic mindset and you wonder why our country's going down the tubes? Now, now let me give you an acid test. This is statistics in the American church. Have we lost our saltiness? Do we have our hand in the proverbial cookie jar as to why our country's going down the tubes morally? Well, take a look. Are, are we really preserving our country with God's truth? 55% of Christians right now, professing Christians, say the Bible has errors in it. In the American church today. I don't sound like you're preserving God's truth. You don't even believe it's the truth anymore. In fact, he goes on to say 50%, half of the church says there is no absolute truth. Well, what do you mean? You believe in moral relativism? That you just get to make it up as you go? Exactly. 
This is not the world, folks. This is the church. No wonder things are messed up. 47% of so-called Christians don't have commitment to the Christian faith as top priority. I don't even need to share it. Who cares? And yet we're supposed to be the preservative factor. 58% don't have being active in a local church as one of their top goals in life. I don't even need to come here and and learn God's truth. Who cares? I don't need to even get equipped with it because I don't even share it anyway. Like that's really going to help? 35% 35% of Christians say that to get by in life these days, sometimes you got to bend the rules for your own benefit. You know what that is? That's called lying, cheating. And we're supposed to be the preservative? That's the church, folks. 65%, as we saw before, doesn't even believe in a literal Satan. Can you believe that? No wonder we're getting smacked on. 29% of so-called Christians in America say that when Jesus lived on earth, he committed sins like everybody else. Excuse me? Man, if, if Jesus sinned, we're doomed. Okay? That's a third of the church. 25%, one-fourth of the church, listen, says it doesn't matter what faith you follow because all paths lead to heaven. Excuse me, John 14, 6, I didn't say it, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. But how in the world can so-called professing, I'll use that word, professing Christians say that Jesus is not the only way to heaven when he clearly says he is? You know what my theory is? Because you have conformed to this wicked world system and you govern your belief system not by the absolute moral hierarchy laws of God in the Bible. You're making it up as you go. You're doing just like the world. No. I think all paths. You, you can't arrive at that with even a cursory reading of the scripture. This is the church. One fourth. Right now, if we were to do the stats here, I hope it's not true for us. But one fourth of everybody here today really believes that Jesus is not the only way. No wonder everything is falling apart. 49% of pastors in America don't even have a biblical worldview. Can I tell you what that means? They don't even know basic theology, basic Bible beliefs. You know what? They're, they're too busy worried about their image and that they need to appease people. They're not interested in preaching the truth. They don't even know the truth. And it's just a bunch of fluff. It's a bunch of games. I just need to have people like me and, 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 and I need to have spiked hair with some blonde highlights and, and you know, you'll look cool and, you know, and, and I don't even have a pulpit because that's, that's old-fashioned. I, I just need to have a stool up here with a cup of coffee and a Bible. I don't ever open it. It just looks cool. And, and we'll talk about how fluffy cats are so wonderful. Half of all pastors in the United States of America don't even have a biblical worldview. You, you know what the price for that is? Here it is. That means it spills downhill. People who even do go to church services, you ain't getting the truth. 93% of so-called Christians don't even have a biblical worldview. So it's so stinking bad in the church today, even if you wanted to share the truth, only 7% of Christians are getting equipped to share the truth to fight back the moral decay, decay in our country today. I'm looking at that and I'm going, you know what? We've lost our saltiness. We have flat out lost our saltiness. And if you don't think that that's going to affect our future, you're kidding yourself. Even Charles Spurgeon warned about this if we were ever to get to this stage. He said, we have come to a turning point in the road. And if we turn to the right, maybe our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and his word. What? Yeah. Yeah. Because we refuse to be the salt. And it gets worse with the succeeding year. Our behavior affects the next generation. If the Lord's deuterium were still alive. In fact, if you don't want to listen to Spurgeon, 
The term right now in church historians today, you know what they're using? You know what they're calling us? Right now, us Christians here in America, you know what they're calling us? The terminal generation. You realize this? The terminal generation. And they're saying, unless this generation of Christians right now repents, turns around, and gets serious about God's truth, our nation is going down the tubes. Ah, who cares? How's that economy doing? Who, the playoffs, dude. Who's, playoff? who's your team, man? You're going, hey. said it before, I'll say it again, because it is so awesome and so worthy of our time. Have you guys seen that cat playing piano on YouTube? I mean, that thing's up to 40 million hits. It's amazing. And if the Lord should tarry and still alive, future generations will look back on you and I, the terminal generation, and curse our name. How dare you? You were the last hope at the last stage, and you still sat there and did nothing. You're supposed to preserve. Look at history. Look at the past generations. What they do? They stood strong, but our generation is not standing strong. And you wonder why things are going down the hill. Why is our country filled with such moral decay? Why is there no signs that it seems to be turning around? Why is it that when we did our study on homosexuality here after the Supreme Court decision, we did a four-week study. I was actually over there with Anna Maria. I can't believe that. I forgot that. Uh, at a conference, and I, I felt like a fish out of water when that decision came down. So I got back. The next week, we interrupted our study. I don't know if you recall that. I did a four-week study. I thought, man, if we won't wake up now as the church across the United States, uh, nothing's going to wake us up. Remember that? Remember that was like a spiritual punch in the gut? Remember that? And so what we did, we did our part. Okay, we got equipped, but we recorded it. We did a four-week study, and not only what God says about that in love, okay, and as a warning as a nation, if you don't turn around, Romans chapter one, what's gonna happen to you if you don't turn around from this? It's just gonna keep getting worse. But then the last one, the fourth part, was an absolutely uh, exhaustive, uh, like 15-point apologetic study, how to respond to these people in love over that issue and, and, and get them equipped and, and steer them back on track in love with God. And, and then what we did as a ministry we sent that dvd set out uh, to the church and as you know we don't copyright our media you can make a billion copies we don't care we just wanted to like now will you wake up you got to do something this is a spiritual watershed moment in the history of our country in the history of the church the supreme court just made that decision against the word of god we got it we sent it to 40 different ministries in the united states and canada and nobody responded and i remember that and we just waited. Surely somebody's going to call. Somebody's going to re- respond. We had one entity that responded, but they never ended up running with it. So basically nothing. And I remember sitting there going, oh, God, we are in trouble. God, have mercy on us. Because if we won't wake up after this, and if we won't take advantage of your truth and get equipped on this issue to stand up for your moral hierarchy, We're headed to rottenness. And it will overtake us. How many years ago was that? Has it gotten better? Just like God warned in Romans chapter 1, did it stop with that issue? It's gotten even worse. Have you seen what's now hard on the heels of that? The whole transsexual issue? Pedophilia? Bestiality? God warned about this, folks, in Romans chapter 1. You know why? 
It isn't just the world's doing the world. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not condoning what the world does, but I get it. They don't know Jesus. But God gave this world, even our own country, an antidote to preserve us from that moral destruction. And it's us. But you know what? We've lost our saltiness. Man. But unfortunately, that's not all. The second thing we've done, it's a two-bang punch. We've lost our brightness. Because Jesus gives us another identity that we are to have. This one to not only keep our country from being morally preserved, but to beat back the darkness in our world. We are to shine the light. Let's take a look at this text here. Jesus speaking, of course, keep reading. He says now, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you're also not just the salt of the earth, you're the what? The light of the world. And he gives you an example, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Now, if we have it correctly, when we were over there in Jerusalem the year before last, and we, were at, at, uh, we got out there on the boat in the Lake, uh, Sea of Galilee, and uh, it was in that area where our Lord was given the Sermon on the Mount. And when you're actually in that boat, in, the, in that area, and when the sun goes down, you're surrounding that lake with, with these mountains. You can't miss it, right? And you could have somebody with a little teeny, when he's speaking these words, you could have somebody just, uh, uh, the way it's designed in that area, you could have somebody just light a match, and you're gonna see it for miles. You can't miss it. And that's what he's saying, man. When, when, in that context, it, you're the light of the world, it, like a city on a hilltop. Not just a match, but imagine a city with all the lights turned on. You can't miss it. It's impossible, is what he's saying. And that's common sense. And they certainly got it when you were in that topography when he spoke that. He says, in fact, come on, nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, right? You don't say, hey, it's dark in here. Let me turn on the flashlight. Oh, sorry, let me put a blanket back over it. <laughs> That's not even the purpose. It's ridiculous. So nobody does that. Instead, what's the whole purpose of shining the light? He says that. He says, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, here's the light word to shine. Let your what? Good deeds. Not just your beliefs, now your behavior. Let your good deeds what? Shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Our behavior lining up with God's word should be a light on a hill where people look at you. We could be 12 miles away, so to speak. And they'll say, hey, that's a Christian. You can't escape it, not just by their beliefs, but look at that behavior. I mean, they're a holy, shining representation. They are not just believing what God says right and wrong. They're living it. And they're shining brightly. Do you see what he's saying? In this passage, he says, here's how we preserve our country. We are to preserve it with the salt, with our beliefs, but you back it up with your behavior. Do you get it? Not an either-or situation. It's a two-bang punch. And so again, that's the, that's the point. I mean, we're doing that, right? We, we know that God has called us not to just believe the right stuff. It's to live the right stuff. Because when we live, our lives shine. And that shining, living God's truth is what dispels the darkness, right? I've shared this analogy before. I grew up in Kansas. We grew up in impoverished conditions. And typically when you grow up in impoverished conditions, you get this free, you get free pets. Now we didn't call them that, we called them cockroaches, okay? And I remember coming home at night, 
And I go, I, I still to this day can't stand them things, right? In Vegas, they're Nephilim cockroaches. But anyway, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I remember coming home at night, and I just, oh, it, was, it was gross. Ugh. Until we finally, it took years to get literally all fixed as we're remodeling a house back there. But anyways, I remember, what, what do you do? You guys, if you ever live in those conditions, what happens? As long as the lights are out, what do those things do? They're everywhere, man. They're ever there. They're having parties. You probably can't hear it because they turned the music down, but they're partying. Right? They're all over everything, the fridge, the counter, right? Your food, the jars, the cabinets, the dishes, and the glasses. But here you do. You can't see it, but the moment you turn that light on, what happens? No. First they do this. <laughs> then they do that, right? You've been there. They say, oh, Party time, over, run. <laughs> and I'll never forget when I first came across this passage, I'm going, oh, yeah. God wants us as Christians, when we live for him, it's like we went into the kitchen and it causes the cockroaches to run. Now, if you notice that in the workplace, right? When you're a Christian, really being a Christian, living the Christian life, people, for some strange reason, don't want to be around you. If they're living in darkness, John chapter one, they love darkness rather than light. And when the light shines, what do they do? Uh, excuse me, I need to go paint my dog's toenails. What's that? What? Oh, hey, I gotta go over here and I gotta you know, uh, mow my backyard with rocks. You know, they'll find, he just get out. Oh, it's one of those people. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. It's not just we believe the right stuff. That's good. And you need to share that belief because that's what preserves from the moral decay. We have to shine the light. We have to live it. And that's what dispels automatically the darkness. I told people years for years, hey, you, you ever want to get some privacy? You want people to stop bugging you? Tell them you're a Christian. A born-again Bible-believing Christian. They'll head to the hills screaming with their hair on fire. Right? Now, you still witness to them, right? But my point is, we know that this is a basic biblical truth. It dispels the darkness. You want the rottenness to go away at your work, at your home, in your neighborhood? You shine the light of Jesus. You, want it to, you, know, you feel like, man, things are getting dark around here lately, spiritually, let alone morally. And What's the answer? We need the government to fix the problem. No! We need to turn the light on. You see, what I've learned is the problem with our society, not only with the moral decay, we've lost our saltiness. The reason why our world is also getting so dark is because us, the antidote, refuse to turn on the light. And it isn't just we refuse to turn on the light. The reason why we don't turn on the light is because we're living dark lives we've conformed to this wicked world system. Let me give you some more unfortunate stats on the church today. Not just have we lost our saltiness, our beliefs have we lost our brightness are we living just like the world no wonder they don't run no wonder the darkness keeps creeping in closer and closer let's take a look 42 percent of so-called christians believe that it's more important to achieve success or win acceptance from other people than to please god i will conform to this world because i'm in it for the money or uh, my job it's more expedient excuse me I, or i'm concerned my friends won't like excuse me you're supposed to shine the light of Jesus Christ. 49% of so-called Christians don't have a problem with the distribution of pornography. Excuse me? 
Daryl, let me just give you a couple uh, uh, stats here. 17, this is one example. He said, kids at school will pressure me and my girlfriend to have sex. And I mean, I want to wait until marriage, but I, I wonder how this will make me look. Excuse me? And you're a Christian? I, uh, oh, by the way, your answer said this. I absolutely refuse to do that because God is always looking at me. He sees in the dark. He sees everything. He's God. Who cares what your friends think? You answer to God. And no wonder your friends are involved in that behavior that's leading to darkness and destruction in their lives. What kind of example are you? You're supposed to lead the way by example. So you're not even really loving your friends because you're leading them down a path of destruction. It's not just guys, girls. 14, she says, I know the Bible says you can't have sex before marriage, but hey, why can't you? I mean, if you're in love with the person, it doesn't feel wrong. Feelings do not dictate moral truth. And you wonder why it's getting so dark. 39% of so-called Christians say it's okay for couples to live together before marriage. I can't believe I still have to deal with this in the ministry. Excuse me? Read, I'll just give you one easy passage. John chapter four. How many times have we been through this? John chapter four, Jesus in love, loved the lady at the well, the woman at the well, so much that he called her sinful lifestyle behavior on the carpet. Because sin hurts, sin harms, and sin destroys 100% of the time. And what he say? Go call your husband. And she said, sir, I don't have a husband. And he says, because he's God, I know. I'm just trying to get you to cough up what I already know. He says, the man you're, you've already had five husbands and the man you're what? Living with. Question, did Jesus condone her behavior as a proper lifestyle, living with someone? Or did he love her enough to tell her the truth to lead her away from that destructive behavior? He loved her enough to say that's wrong. We are not helping anybody, church, when you conform to this world. What's the theme today? Conformity. Whose rebellion, whose rebel are you? Okay? Christians, and this is a a California poll, in that area, Christians were more likely than non-Christians to get a divorce. Wow. No wonder people don't uh, respond to the biblical definition of marriage. In this area, they have a worse divorce rate than the non-Christian. You gotta be kidding me. 33% of Christians say homosexuality is okay. And I think it's way higher than that actually. A United Methodist minister wrote a book on Jesus that claims that Jesus not only condoned homosexual relationships, but Jesus himself was one. And the minister was not reprimanded by his denomination. And you're letting that go on and on. A couple more, it shows how worse it is. 4% in this one survey 4% 4% of Christians, 3% of non-Christians said they consulted a medium or spiritual advisor within the past month. More Christians went to a psychic and a cultist than non-Christians in that survey. And then a survey was taken of teenagers. Don't tell me that society is conforming the minds of teenagers, including Hollywood, that's glamorizing the occult and things. Watch this. Nearly 64% thought it was perfectly fine to be a Christian and a Wiccan which is a witch. And if you're paying attention in the media out there, you know what terms they're doing? They're calling themselves Christian witches. Excuse me, that's called an oxymoron. That's like icy hot, peaceful war, yummy chicken. (laughs) They don't work. But take a look at the results. What's going on? Folks, no wonder everything's going down the tubes. Have we forgotten who we are? 
We are supposed to be the preservative. No wonder our society is not just morally decaying, going rotten. No wonder it's getting so dark and darker by the day. We refuse to be the preservative, the salt of the earth. We now even refuse to be the light of the world. It's not just our beliefs have conformed to this world. Our behavior has conformed to this world, which means we're no longer rebels for Jesus. We're back to rebelling with this wicked world system, and he saved us from it. And if you don't think that we have a part to play in our godless society today, you're fooling yourself. Let me, and we're going to close here. I'm going to give you just within the last, I just wrote these in my notes just this morning in my office before I came over here. I'm going to give you three examples from the, just the last, uh, last week. Just three examples of this duplicit behavior. And you tell me if this is helping our country or hurting it. So-called professing Christians. Number one, this Christian on their way to church services was listening to music of the nature that was not just sexually graphic, but it was spelling it out in, and I got, we got the, the message, in, I can't even share what it is, but it was like they were basically singing pornography to music. And they had their younger sibling there with them. Like the whole thing was okay. On the way to church services. What? The second one that happened after that. A so-called Christian. Is so upset apparently. With a. Political identity. Who is very staunch pro-life. Is that a bad thing? Saving unborn children against abortion, the murder of children? They were so upset, this professing Christian said that in regards to this person, hashtag hail Satan. You're a Christian. They stand up for saving children. And they're the ones from Satan? One more. Had a guy that, uh, if you know in our charismatic chaos study, uh, he felt that he needed to uh, uh, tell me about his position on the spiritual gifts. And, and that's a secondary issue. As Christians, we should be able to agreeably disagree and yet not divide. Okay. But he was so adamant about it that he was so in- incredibly right about it that, and I needed to succumb to his incredible view that he's this scholar on this scripture and, and I need to, you know, whatever. And, and I'm open to input, whatever. But the way he was presenting himself, he's just this incredible Christian, high scholar, master of the Bible. I go to that person's YouTube channel and within three seconds and he's got all these videos that he's liked on his channel that are lesbian love songs. Excuse me. And I'm going to listen to you. And it wasn't even about that argument. I'm sitting there going like, and the lost is watching this. And you wonder why nothing seems to change in our country spiritually. But you, hey, Pastor Billy, man, in closing, you, you're just, I don't know what you did. Maybe you're upset that you got Trump by Trump. Okay, all right, so what? All right, you got me, all right? So I'm getting a little slack lately. You know, I'm a Christian, you know, even here at Sunrise, I lost a little bit of my saltiness. I, I, I don't stand for God's truth like I know I should. In fact, frankly, I believe whatever I want. 
Okay, you got me. I've started to lose my brightness too. And I I pretty much, frankly, behave however I want. I'll do what I want to do. But it just affects me. Really? Let me challenge you one more time. When you are not being a rebel for Jesus, there's only one other option. You're being a rebel for Satan. When you walk around in life and say, I will believe what I want to believe, I'll do whatever I want to do instead of what God says, you're actually acting like a Satanist. I didn't say that. They did. Watch this. The reason so many people reject the charge of Satan worship is because, as we saw earlier, they have a caricature of the devil and his religion in their minds. He's the horn-headed demon in red pajamas, and serving him, should he even exist, would involve sacrificing babies, drinking blood, or something else equally horrible or bizarre. In reality, though, following Satan is far more mundane and universal than most people realize or would care to admit. But I can do anything that I want to. I can pursue any kind of lustful desires that I might feel. I can uh, engage in any activities that are so-called sinful activities and not really worry about any ecumenical councils making it right for me to do these things. Living for, as I've said, all of the earthly and carnal pleasures. Now, if a Christian said to you, you were just really worshipping yourself, what would you say? In a sense, they would be right. Uh, it is a form of self-worship. We feel that there is no reason why these people shouldn't just flip the coin completely over and simply call themselves what religion has called them for many, many years. Call them devil worshippers or disciples of evil or Satanists. Of course, it's very hard for a person to hang an uncomplimentary label on themselves. And for this reason, for many years, there will be people practicing Satanism as good Christians or other religions. And uh, they will instinctively pursue the very same things that we are, as they always have. As the occult magazine Gnosis acknowledged, If there's anything horrifying in its teachings, it's that these are the principles by which most people live most of the time, usually without admitting it even to themselves. Which includes so-called Christians. The number one law of God, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind I've said this till I'm blue in the face folks you know this the number one law of Satanism as you just saw from Satanist Anton LaVey the founder of the Satanic church who wrote the Satanic Bible the number one law of Satanism is do what you will shall be the whole of the law so do the math what's the acid test where are you at today Satanists will admit that anyone including those who profess to be Christians who basically believe what they want to believe and behave how they want to behave, who are they really acting like? Good Satanists. Because that's what it's all about. Doing what you want. Believing what you want. Do what we want. And somehow the church thinks that you can live like that and somehow you're still a rebel for Jesus. 
Based on the Satanist's own words, when you're doing what you want to do, believing what you want to do, Christian, you know what you're doing? You're a rebel, all right. You're a rebel for the devil. And you wonder why our world today is getting so dark and satanic. It's because we're running around like a bunch of little devils, like the rest of the world. We need to get back on track. We need to not only be the salt and get busy knowing and declaring God's truth and refusing to budge from it because all his truth is a preservative for us, for a country, for people, for their lives. Name one commandment in the scripture that's bad for us. All the ills of our society, every problem that we have can be found in the solution of God's word. We need to not only know it and teach it and preach it and stick by it and refuse to budget. We need to live it. Now, if we can do that, the rottenness starts to go away. The darkness is instantly dispelled. You go into a dark room, you flip on the light. How long does it take for the darkness to go away? Not long at all. It's instantaneous. It is high time we get rid of our practical amnesia. If we can't stop playing church, then we need to get out of church. But don't sit there and say that you're an on-fire, born-again Christian in love with Jesus, living your life as a living sacrifice, and you're still conforming to this wicked world system. I don't know your heart. If you're not saved, you better get saved right now. But if you are saved and you got seduced to go back and conform to this wicked world system, you need to get back on track today. It is high time that we get back to living and being the antidote to the ills of our society. It's not the world, folks. It's not even a political opponent. The only one that could fix our country is Jesus Christ. But we're his lips, his mouthpiece, and we are to be the light dispelling the darkness. Let's get back to that. Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal, don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. 
Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon 
so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.